Daily Drive is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash retail anywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash retail anywhere. Hi, everyone. This is Steve Smith with Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, June 17th. 13%. That's the decrease in total miles driven across America in 2020 versus total miles driven in 2019. NHTSA says that decline in miles driven last year is largely due to COVID. Here's another statistic NHTSA reported earlier this month. 7.2%. That's the increase in traffic-related deaths in 2020 versus 2019. It's the highest death toll since 2007. And then there's 9%. That's the increase of deaths in 2020 as a result of drunk driving. In a year where total miles driven declined. Mothers Against Dark Driving, or MAD, is working with legislators in Congress, including Michigan's Debbie Dingell and Gary Peters, to reduce and perhaps completely eliminate deaths in the United States related to drunk driving. How? Through the Ride Act, making its way through the Senate, and the HALT Act, currently making its way through the House. Both are tied to current legislative debates surrounding bills related to infrastructure and transportation. At their core, the bills call for mandates that require automakers to make standard in new vehicles technologies that exist today that MAD believes can curb deaths in this country that happen because of drunk driving. What technology specifically? MAD and advocates working on its behalf, including Rena Abbas-Taylor and Ken Schneider, who between them have lost six family members because of drunk driving, say they are neutral on what specific technologies among the 241 they have identified as helpful to curbing drunk driving-related deaths. Their objective is focused on passing legislation that makes any suite of those technologies standard, while also transitioning activation of those safety systems in ways that are more proactive. Where do the Ride and Halt Acts currently sit in the legislative process? What support is MAD getting from the beverage, insurance, and automotive industries? And why do Rena and Ken feel government-related mandates are the only way to encourage automakers to make the technologies MAD has identified as standard in new vehicles? Here's part two of my discussion with MAD advocates Rena Abbas-Taylor and Ken Snyder. When you think about that technology or when you talk about that technology... How does that relate into what is inside the two bills and where are those two bills right now in the legislative process? Well, let, let me take the first part of that question. Um, the, we're tech neutral, as, as Rena said, and tech neutral mm-hmm. means whatever technology or combination of technology, it's not up to, to MAD to determine or advocate for. We just know that there's technology that's available but working with NHTSA, which is the, gover- the governing organization in this case, working with the industry should be able to es- establish standards. Let me just give an example of what, we, what that means. Is Let's just say there's the, the car is being driven erratically and, and the sensors know this, the car knows this, and it's, you know, it, it, it's past a threshold. What is the threshold to say how many lane changes without turning on your blinker or how fast over the speed limit do you need to be driving when you do it or how many times you go over to the the side of the you know onto the shoulder of the road or something like that before the vehicle shuts down that's a rule 
and we are not in the, we're, we're not in the position to try to advocate for a specific rule. That's something that NHTSA and industry experts should set. And it should be done in a universal way and should not be determined arbitrarily by the car companies as it is happening right now. The companies that have added this safety feature to their cars have assumed some sort of, of rule already. Um, but it's not something that has been set by the government, and we think it's something the government should take responsibility for, that all make, all car makers should, should adhere to it. So that's why we are tech neutral, and we see that, that there's lots of options to be considered. It'll be, I, I think, a difficult process to work through. It would be helpful if the industry shared publicly all of the information that they have available from the suppliers, because that would allow the process to go through much more quickly. Uh, as it goes through the after the bills get passed and it goes through a rulemaking process, the bills themselves they are not mandating the types of technology. They are not calling for specificity around standards and mandates. At the core of these two bills, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, and, and share more details with our audience. The core of these bills naturally or or just boils down to there have to be mandates. There have to right. be standards. It's not up right. to us to figure out what those standards are. We're not the experts. All we're saying is there need to be standards and there need to be mandates. Correct. Absolutely. And they need to be, um, uh, we need to reach uh, and make sure we put these standards in place um, through a specific time frame. Those are the two things that matter. That, you know, the fastest, we understand that the fastest way to compel automakers to make drunk driving prevention system standard in every vehicle is through a federal vehicle safety regulation. And that is why the time frame for us is also very important. And I do wanna, I do wanna add in addition to what Ken said, Steve, um, you know, we hear I've seen this quite a bit in the coverage um, around the legislation. Um, look, we get it. Whenever there is something new and different, you know, it, it there are concerns that are raised about what this means. Um, uh, on a number of levels. People in, in general, all of us, don't feel we want to be inconvenienced. Um, and, you know, I know that Ken and I personally have thoughts on that, considering this is so close to home. But what is what I think has been missing from a lot of the reports is, as Ken said, this is passive technology. This is this doesn't change how you get in your vehicle and start your vehicle. This is monitoring you know, you're driving so that in the event something feels off, you know, we are making sure both the driver and other vehicles on the road and individuals on the road are safe as well. And so I think there's a there's some confusion about what you know how the technology will work. You know, I you know I've heard some of this technology as simple as a code switch. And when you hear things like this, and and again, I am not a tech expert. My background is not in tech. I've had a I've had a lot of conversations with Ken. I've heard him explain it. And even at the very basic levels, there doesn't I have not heard or seen any adequate argument for why this cannot be done and why it can't be done now. Um, and so to also answer your question about, you know, the legislation itself right now, um, you know, we're in there in the it's in the negotiation process. Um, so um, Bill is in markup. Ken and I don't obviously have details on um, specifics of that, um, but we know that um, both of these bills, the House bill and its companion bill in the Senate, the Ride Act, 
I want to point out, are not only being supported by members of the Michigan delegation, Congresswoman Dingell on the House end, Senator Gary Peters on the Senate end, they are being championed by members of the Michigan delegation who more than any member of Congress understand the auto industry because it's in their backyard and know what the auto industry can and cannot do. That says something. Um, and I am so grateful, so grateful for both Congresswoman Dingell and Senator Peters, who have really taken the lead on this and have said that this is something that they know can be done and that they want to support it getting done. I am so grateful for both also Senators Lujan um, and Senator Scott. Um, Senator Lujan, who is a survivor himself of a drunk driving accident, um, who's also championing um, this legislation and even listening to him tell his story um, is gut-wrenching. It's scary. It's it's a trauma that you carry with you for the rest of your life. You, you learn to live in and around it. And no individual, no family should be put in a position to have to go through something like this when we know it's preventable. But let's stick a little bit more with the the conversations within Congress. I understand that you and MAD President Helen Witte spent a lot of 2019 speaking with legislators outside of those that, that Rana has already mentioned uh, in her comments. Can you talk a little bit about the reaction that you've gotten from other legislators who may not be as uh, advocate may not may not be uh, advocating for as championing this legislation as much as as uh, the others that Rana mentioned you know it it's it's been interesting the, the bills have bipartisan support and the people that have agreed to meet with us have all been wonderful they've been sympathetic they they get it as best they can without having lived through it like Senator Luhan he's kind of a little bit of an exception because He's lived through a, a head-on drunk driving crash and, and luckily walked away from it. But as he says, I'll never forget. Um, the, the people who've been willing to meet with us have been great. And, and I think that the, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but, but we do, I, I'm going to use the term we use internally. We have a war room call every, every other week where we have um, survivors, mad advocates, that have lost family members that are in the states where the subcommittee members and the committee members from the Senate and the House are from. And we, we do a little strategy. Part of what we do is we share our stories with, with one another, which is, is always a gut-wrenching uh, experience. But, uh, but, we, but we're advocating as a, as a group, uh, and it's, it is powerful. It's powerful to hear the stories, and it's and it's hard to ignore when when you have a group of people who are so uh, motivated by the tragedies and and the fact that they're part of a group that they never really nobody ever wanted to be a part of, to be honest with you. It's interesting to me in studying what MAD is doing and studying the HALT Act and the RIDE Act. You're getting a lot of support from the beverage industry. Can you share a little bit about how those industry players have come out and advocated and been vocal for this legislation? I come from a family of alcoholics. My dad was an alcoholic. Um, the I, One thing I learned from having an alcoholic father is 
sober dad and drunk dad were two very different people. Um, my dad had was one of, of 10 children, nine boys. All nine boys became alcoholics. I grew up in a family of alcoholics. The way I have avoided being an alcoholic and from drinking and driving is by not drinking. Um, I know that I have a family tendency towards it. I know that the tragedy it can cause in families. I know that there is a tragedy associated with drinking just in and of itself that is separate from the, the driving deaths that, that happen when, when drunk people drive cars. Um, I think I look at the, the young woman that killed my daughter and I, and I, part of me says there, but for the grace of God, go I. Now I'm also a business guy. And, and to me, it makes perfect sense that the alcohol industry supports this because every time a drunk driver kills somebody, there's also the risk that the drunk driver dies too. They lose customers. They get bad publicity. I, th I think it's great that they've come out in favor of the bill, but they're not alone in terms of the people that support it. Um, the, the insurance industry as a whole has come out in favor of this. There are, um, Almost every safety advocacy group has come out in favor of this. MAD is not in this alone. We have a lot of people on our side that are advocating it. We're grateful for all the support that, that we get, whether it be from the alcohol industry or whether it be from other industries as well. They are all important members of, of helping advocate for this important, uh, these important legislative actions that will help prevent drunk driving deaths. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more. As online experiences exploded this past year, it was clear dealers needed an approach that kept them in business for the long term. Chris Walsh, Casey Edwards, and Dave Bates, Top Reynolds executives, sat down to discuss today's digital retailing landscape. Here's an excerpt from that roundtable discussion. So what are dealers trying to do to get this fully online and online to in-store experience? I mean, that's a great question, and honestly, it's, a, it's kind of a hard one to answer because retailers are kind of defining and using digital retailing differently. You know, to some dealers, it's selling a car. To other, it's sales and F&I, and they, they tend to be approaching it in chunks versus, you know, kind of a holistic, holistic approach, and then you end up just focusing on one or two things when you need to focus on, you know, more of a big picture. Digital retailing is dealership operations, period. Reynolds' Retail Anywhere approach focuses on streamlining dealership operations and improving profitability. For more information about this big-picture, holistic approach, visit reyrey.com slash retail anywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot -E com slash retail anywhere. Well, Ken, let's stick with you because I think then the next natural question is, are you seeing similar advocacy from the automotive industry? No. Uh, matter of fact, um, and I, I'll go back to a Senate hearing, and, and Rena can talk to this one because she was she, she was one of the witnesses at the hearing. I just watched it online. But the the representative of the auto industry, when asked if the auto industry would support the legislation, the answer was that it was during the cross examination of Mr. Bozella and and uh, Senator Lujan doing the cross examination, and and he asked him. It's a yes or no question, and, and the auto industry representative kept saying, uh, we are willing to work with, with Matt and others to develop technology to prevent drunk driving. Are you in favor of this legislation? We are willing to work with Matt, and, and never once, and even though Senator Lujan specifically said, is that a yes or a no? And they never gave a yes or a no. 
and and that was very disappointing and frustrating to us who are advocating for this that they that the auto industry is not willing to step up and say yes when we know they can do it also if i can add to that steve i mean look i grew up here you know with the auto industry in our backyard you know we're all proud of you know hailing from the home of the big three my there isn't a single person that i know that isn't in some way connected to the auto industry we know what the auto industry can do we know that they have made revolutionary um uh changes to the way uh vehicles drive i mean for goodness sake we're talk we talk about fully autonomous vehicles and yet we say that this is a challenge uh, i mean it is difficult for me to to make sense of that i i'm I've, i i my first internship was at the ford world headquarters um you, you it there's a special kind of link and hurt for me um knowing that you know i am so close to the industry, not just by proximity, but also with so many of my family members involved um, in working for the autos. But even knowing that my family of five, I mean, this is, their hometown is Dearborn. That's home of the Ford World Headquarters. These are people who were not just my family, but Katie and so many other victims. These are people who, you know, contributed to society and even like who could have changed our world. I think of those children, you know, my nieces and nephew who, you know, my nephew was 13 years old and his biggest wish was for everyone in the world to have access to clean drinking water. I mean, it's hard to know that we can prevent this in that we are being stonewalled, essentially. So, Rana, given your familiarity with the industry and where where you live and, and where you've lived your entire life, why do you think we need a mandate? I mean, it seems this is simply the right thing to do. Well, because... <laughs> um, it, unfortunately... <laughs> In the as the past has shown us is that oftentimes when it comes to safety, it is mandates that work. Um, in order for this to to happen, it should not be voluntary. Um, this is a matter of life and death. It should not be a choice that an automaker gets to make as to whether or not the vehicle they are producing um, can be used as a deadly weapon or not. Um, and I do wanna go back to that. Um, you know, we we know, we know that cars kill. We know that vehicles, if not handled properly, can be used as deadly weapons, and they are. What does not make sense is, why is it that we are willing to put safety precautions around other deadly weapons and not around this? It does See, seem me, a bit of a paradox, me, absolutely. Um, I get asked that question fairly regularly as I talk to different people, and so I, I, I researched it. Um, I just as, and I'm I'm old enough to to you know have sat in cars that didn't have seatbelts and and drive cars that didn't have airbags. So I, I I've seen it all happen, but I wanted to get the the facts straight. So 
Seatbelts, they were first offered as optional equipment on, on a commercial vehicle in 1949, the, the Nash Rambler, incidentally. Made standard on a Saab in 1958, that was the first standard equipment seatbelt. It was mandated by the federal government in 1977 for implementation by 1983. So it only took, mm, let me think, 34 years from the time it became optional to the time it was mandated and actually on all vehicles. Airbags. The first airbag on a, as an optional equipment on a commercial vehicle was in 1973 when GM introduced it. The first time it was standard equipment on, on a vehicle was in 1988 when Chrysler vehicles added it as standard equipment to their vehicles. And I'm thankful they did because an airbag saved my life and I had it was driving a, a Dodge Shadow. It was mandated by the federal government in 1991 at, for implementation in 1998 models. So they shortened the 34-year time span that it took to do seat belts down to just 25 years to do airbags. We don't think we should wait for 25 to 34 years for this to happen. <clears throat> this is 10,000 people dying every year. And every year we delay is 10,000 or 11,000 more people. And, and we just can't live with that. We can well, do yeah. this next year. This is something that every automaker can do and eliminate a vast majority of drunken dri drunk driving deaths and impairment deaths if they choose to do so. And, and it's not going to happen. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen without a mandate. Rana, you were saying? I was um, going to agree with Ken. You know, this is something that, you know, we we know can be done. We know. And it's and that is that ultimately is there is no other argument, Steve. When you are talking to someone like Ken and myself, there is no other argument that supersedes saving human life. It's that simple for us. And Ken, as you point out, and Ron, as you know very well, safety has been a mainstay in this industry since its inception. These automakers have have always advocated for, for passenger safety. Uh, and it is a bit of a paradox that like seatbelts, like airbags, this technology exists. I would further say that Technology allows us to move through the innovation process much faster than the 20 and 30 years, Ken, that you described around the airbags and the seatbelts. Um, the opportunity is there, and and um, yeah, it is certainly it's certainly a bit of a paradox when you when you talk about it. You think about all of these things, and you talk about these things in in totality. We would love to have the automakers come out in favor of these bills and start giving us the information that they have internal. We would love to have them come up with proposals on what's the best way to implement this. But right now, they have not shown a willingness to do that. I have to imagine living through your personal situations, seeing these accidents caused by alcohol day in and day out. Ronnie, you expressed some frustration early in our conversation as well about that. How do you cope with that? Yeah, thanks, Steve. Um, um, moment by moment, Steve. Um, for example, this recent um, crash in Kentucky that so, in so many ways, mimics the crash um, my family was in. It 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 really unearths and um, um, it unearths things in you in in and kind of takes you right back to that moment um, when you found out 
about your own family and you go immediately to the victims and the family members of those victims and you know what they are going through and you know that they can't make sense of it either. Um, and, and look, we know, we know it's human instinct to shield ourselves from believing that tragedy could strike us, but it can. And I can't say this enough. You know, Rima and I saw them were the safest drivers. I used to tease my sister when I would drive with her. I'd be like, you drive like my grandmother. And she would say, I have precious cargo. You know, and we would joke about this. And I think I've had people say to me, and I think if I if I could ask one thing of anybody that challenges us as we do this is, you know, I've heard over and over, and I know Ken has as well, I could never imagine. And here is the thing. In order for us to do better and be better, Steve, we need to imagine and I tell people all the time, I, I I really need you to imagine because what I have left, Steve, is my husband and my two elderly parents. That is what I have left. So those children were not only my nieces and nephews, they were like my own children. I have no other siblings. I, you know, you, you think of like even identity issues. Are you still a sister? Are you still an auntie? And I tell people all the time. I need you to imagine, I need you to imagine what it would be like if you lost all your siblings, all your children, all your nieces, and all of your nephews. As hard as that is, I need you to imagine what that would be like for you. And that's really, for me, um, what I hope can come from this is we are naturally compassionate. We need to be able to be empathetic when we think of these situations, when we think of these 10,000 plus lives that are lost every year. And we need to do our part because it is every single one of our responsibility to do so. So to close... What can our listeners do to help influence the Ride Act, the HALT Act, as they work their, their way through the congressional process? What, what advice, what ask do you have of our listeners to help move this forward? I, I would love to see the auto executives change their position from that of, of not responding and trying to delay or whatever it is they're trying to do and come out and say, yes, we need to do this. We And, and come out in support of the Right Act and the HALT Act. That's what we, the biggest ask we have is auto executives, please make the decision to save lives. We don't and need I, to be, have 10, 11,000 people dying every year. I, I do wanna add to what Ken is saying. You know, at this point, the way we look at it, you know, Ken has talked about the alcohol industry, the insurance industry. We've talked about um, the legislators the bipartisan support for both of these bills. At this point, what we see is the obstacle that we are facing right now in saving 10,000 lives a year is the auto industry. Mm. The auto industry needs to step up. As far as what the public can do, Steve, they need to be contacting, if they can, their members of Congress and asking them to co-sponsor the Hall Act and the Ride Act. And that's um, S. 
1331 in the Senate and H.R. 2138 in the House. Um, if any public support that we can get around this, um, we welcome, we encourage. Um, this is about every single person that is going to get on the road with their family this summer. People that understand that fatal traffic accidents last year increased exponentially, even though driving decreased. This is understanding that now with pandemic restrictions being lifted, more people are getting on the road for every person that is going to get on the road this summer and consider that they have to think, is it safe for me to take my family on this road? If that matters to you, then please make sure that you are reaching out to your member of Congress in support of this legislation. Rana, Ken, thank you for, for sharing your stories, but thank you for your advocacy and um, thank you for being champions for what are frankly unnecessary deaths uh, of, of Americans every year. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, thank Steve. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. We appreciate it. That's Daily Drive for Thursday, June 17th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash daily drive. As always, thanks for listening. I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>